such an honor to be here speaking to y'all. Feels weird to be in front. <laughs> uh, Andrew kind of gave me a pretty broad, sweeping concept to work on tonight. So I, I hope I do it justice. It's something I'm definitely passionate about. Um, kind of want to where I want to start is just we don't go, have to go person by person, but. I think it's really important that we think about why finances are important. Because it's not, not the traditional uh, consumerist American reason, especially in this room where I know a lot of us have these like huge, lofty, like God dreams and like things that. <coughs> without a you know, super wealthy benefactor or building it from the ground up, they're not gonna happen. You know, the things that I feel like God has favor on us for and wants to build out in our lives, but wants us to partner with him in that. And I think I have enough relationship in this room to know that there's a lot of those dreams. And some of them are at massive scale. You know, it's stuff that, like, um, you know, we're not going to achieve it without finance. It's just, that's what it takes. You know, sometimes it takes money to get a facility or a tour bus or a you know, staff to run, you know, a nursing home. Like, I, whatever the dream is, there's always finance that comes along with that. And I just want to frame this conversation in that way because it's not about saving our pennies or coming up with enough money that we can buy a sweet car or be these gaudy individuals that's not the point it's like so far from the point and I think that's that's a really big deal because especially when it comes to finance and personal finance being I honestly think it's one of the hardest parts of finance because being disciplined in your own finances it's a muscle you have to build it and create it and work it on a regular basis to keep yourself from losing that capability and then only when you have that ability to be faithful in the natural things, personal finances being one of them, then you can step into that next season. I mean, it's what Freddie was talking about on Sunday. <clears throat> so, I mean, just try to keep that in the back of your mind as we're talking about this, because it's really not about dollars and cents. 
It's about what does this allow you to achieve as you grow forward in your life. Um, I do have some notes that I'll probably reference, but I'll probably rabbit trail a lot. Just <clears throat> bear with me. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that I think is really important also to remember is that in America, we think about money a lot. Like, more than some other places, for sure. It's part of our culture, it's part of being in a capitalist nation, it's part of being, you know, the consumers to the degree that we are consumers. Um, it's also, unfortunately, one of the things that tears apart relationships more than any other thing. And I've seen it, I mean, in my own life, I've seen it tear apart friendships just as much as I've seen it tear apart marriages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff that... It's stuff that I don't want to see this community or any community burdened with because we don't have to. The truth is, with good stewardship, none of us have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where it goes, is to some degree, there's a, a level where you reach, and I'll talk about this as we get there, but I, can, I call it financial freedom, okay? What that also means is mental freedom from your finances. And what's amazing is you cross that threshold, and I'm not there yet, I'm not, I'm not speaking from experience, I'm just, but there's a level where all of a sudden you no longer have to be beholden to a job that sets a specific schedule or a what's you know your boss is telling you to do or what the world is telling you to do it means it allows you privilege of focus to focus on the things that are placed in our hearts be able to pursue things with all of your time and energy instead of just the slivers of time and energy that are on either side of the work day what's really cool and i think for the majority of people in this room is super cool is when your cost of living is low you know most people start out their cost of living is relatively low and people in their 20s have probably the lowest cost of living they're ever going to have you know it's just the nature of things because as you get married and have kids and everything else it it ratchets up i mean it, there's, there's more lives to take care of in that cost of living. But what's incredible is you could walk into a season in your 20s where you have that privilege of focus because your lifestyle allows it. You could actually create enough income to support your lifestyle that you don't have to worry about the next paycheck. You can actually be free from that. And that's a huge stress. I mean, I would guess that 
everyone in this room takes it for granted how many times they think about money in a day. I would almost guarantee it. Um, so there's just a couple notes right off the top that I just wanted to like kind of frame this up because it's really important that, you know, a lot of people, and I don't know everyone's background, I was super blessed to have a pretty healthy mindset around money growing up. My parents were like Dave Ramsey. They evangelized Dave Ramsey more than they evangelized Jesus probably. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Maybe a little over the top, but it would but it changed my viewpoint on things, right? So when you come from a place of what your why is, why you want to develop good personal finance skills, why you want to build wealth. I'm sure the term wealth probably brings up a hundred different concepts for this room. I mean, some people say like, oh, that's evil. And then some people are like, I want that. <laughs> but it's all about the why, right? It's all about why would we pursue this? Why would we cultivate the skills to manage our money well? Why would we cultivate the skills to build wealth? And it comes back to those things. It comes back to supporting each other, supporting our families, supporting ourselves, obviously, supporting kingdom growth. I mean, it's cool because we're sitting on a campus that is like kind of dedicated to this concept of Let's make a sustainable mm -hmm. growth of the kingdom. And that happens via finance. You can't end up in a whatever, how many, 3,000 square foot house doing worship on a Thursday night without finance from somebody. Yeah. And my dream of having a couple hundred acre farm isn't going to come true without finance. There's just no way. So I just want to really drive that point home. Of like, keep that in the back of your mind throughout this conversation because it will get, I'm going to try to keep it high level, but to some degree, there's nuts and bolts involved. I mean, you're going to have to think about your own personal finances and it's not always super fun. Some people don't like money, but I challenge you to change your mind a little bit about it. Consider it a resource, not a burden. Consider it something you can operate from a wealth mindset instead of a poverty mindset. And that's a hard shift for people. I'm not saying it'll happen overnight, but I really think if you can frame it in the right way, it can really be a huge blessing to you. Um, so I don't know everyone's background in here. Who in the room has a like a hard and fast budget for their life? Do you have like a written out budget? A couple-ish, a few, one or two that are like, yes, I've got it locked in, right? And it's pretty common. <laughs> one of the things that I see all the time in especially people our age. I mean, these are, you know, 
20 somethings is vast majority have no idea where their money's going. They have income that you know may fluctuate through the year or may be super consistent, but they have no idea where the money goes. And I would challenge you that that's where it starts. The whole process from even in the negatives to managing your money well, it all starts with knowing where it goes. Because if you don't know where your money goes, you can't change it. Um, how many in the room have debt? Okay, a couple more hands. A couple more people that, that know what that feels like, right? Huge burden. And I've got that. I'm not going to say shit. I've probably got more debt than all of you, actually. <laughs> but almost guarantee that. Um, it's interesting because how you frame debt is hugely important. Um, There are good and bad debts, okay? For example, a debt that brings more value than you owe, that's a good debt. A debt that has less value than you owe is a bad debt. Now, the one, the one that I probably struggle with the most is student loans because a lot of people would call that bad debt. And I call BS on that. Because that's an investment in your mind, an investment in your education, an investment in your growth that should, if you applied yourself to that use of capital, pay off in spades. I'm not saying it always works or always is a good fit. In fact, I often don't recommend people to go to four-year school or things like that if, you know, I'm being asked, but it depends. So for exa example, I'll give a little background on who I am. I know I just jumped right in. <laughs> I was antsy. Um, so I'm from Pennsylvania originally. <laughs> and, uh, I grew up distinctly middle class. Um, we never, you know, wanted for much, but my dad worked his ass off for that. I mean, my dad worked 40 years in the same company and then was forced into retirement. And what that meant for my mom and dad this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but I'll, I'll tie it in. What that meant for my mom and dad was that they had to figure out whether they were ready for retirement at that time. And because they've been good stewards of their money, they, they were able to make it happen. But what's been interesting is as I've seen the progression of my family, the way I grew up, if they hadn't been exceptional stewards of their money, they would have been nowhere close. 
And I, this is a topic that I'm passionate about because retirement is one of these things that Americans have this concept around of like, yeah, I'll work my life away and then retire. And that's supposed to be the good times. And I don't buy it. So I've seen my parents walk this out and thank God they were good stewards of their money. But I don't want that for anyone in this room. I don't want to see us all have to spend our entire lives working for someone else's money. Um, back to my story. So I went to Penn State. Um, huge university. I was super blessed that my between my grandparents and my parents, they were able to pay for my school. So I came out of school with no student debt, which was a huge setup. What's interesting is I have a number of very close friends who weren't so fortunate, right? But with good financial stewardship on their part, after college, they've been paid off for years. One of my best friends, Eddie, has been paid off for, I remember he was so excited that day that he was like, I just cut the last check to my student loans. And that's how it feels. It's seriously like a weight lifted off your shoulders when all of a sudden you don't have debt. I mean, anyone in this room who's ever experienced that knows what it feels like. It's like a huge celebration. And even if you don't do it externally, internally, you're like screaming because it's super exciting to no longer be under that weight. Um, who in the room knows their net worth? <laughs> who, who in the room can tell me what net worth means? <laughs> All right, Karen, tell me what net worth means. The collective amount of money you are worth or and or own. So it's kind of a combination of your income. Okay. The, maybe, maybe a little bit more general. The combination of how much you can produce and what's that worth, plus the combination, plus however many assets you personally own, equals your net worth. Okay, we're getting a little closer. Anybody else want to take a stab? These would just say assets plus cash, right? So your net worth is because cash is cash is an asset. Is yeah. assets minus your liabilities. Okay. Oh. So if I've got a hundred thousand dollars in the bank and I've got eighty thousand dollars worth of debt, what's my net worth? Twenty thousand dollars. Okay. Yeah. So think about this, right? <laughs> it, <laughs> Most people operate from what's called like a, a balance sheet mindset. Okay, so they look at a month and they say, am I gonna make it or not? I would challenge you that that's the wrong mindset. That when you look at personal finance, you should be looking at 
net worth. And not mm -hmm. in the context of this is how much <coughs> I'm worth or wow, my net worth is negative. <laughs> Look, that's not uncommon. We live in America. <laughs> okay, I heard the statistic, don't take it to the bank, but, okay. I heard a statistic one time that absolutely rocked my world. Okay, in America, if you have no debt and two pennies to rub together, you're wealthier than 50% of Americans. So how does that happen, right? How does it happen? It happens because you take out a huge loan against your house, usually you have 5% equity, okay? You need 5% down to buy the house, okay? Then you take out a car loan. That car loan automatically starts depreciating. So that car's value is now less than you owe on it, maybe significantly, and as soon as that car, the delta between what you owe on the car and what it's worth, is greater than the equity you have in your house, you now have negative net worth. It is not hard to do, especially in a country where most households have multiple cars and you can get debt for things like televisions and couches and like ridiculous things that you can get debt for. I mean, you can honestly, you can put anything on a credit card, right? How easy is it to rack up a credit card? Super, super easy. <laughs> okay, so this is where, what I'm getting to is I would encourage you to look at your finances from a net worth perspective. Because only in that context do you see the bigger picture of your financial situation. On a month-to-month -month basis, you can scrape by. You can scrape by with negative net worth for a super long time. But the challenge is as soon as something happens and any cash you have in the bank has to disappear, you have no more leverage financially. It puts you in a place where you're really at a disadvantage. So the question is, Okay, how do we grow net worth? And it's a simple answer because it's an equation. Assets minus debts equals net worth. Okay, so in order to increase your net worth, increase assets, reduce debt, net worth grows. It's relatively simple. <laughs> uh, I mean, I went to engineering school, so I know math is kind of a hard subject, but <laughs> this isn't calculus. Um, it's accounting. Barely. <laughs> this is like elementary math. <laughs> okay, so I want to put things in perspective on net worth a little bit. Because is there, how many people do we have in the room over the age of 25? Okay, a few, but the minority, right? Okay. <laughs> By net worth, to be, if you are less than 25 years old in America, by net worth, to be in the top 50% of your peers by net worth, you have to have $4,000 in the bank and no debt. 
your net worth has to be four thousand dollars to be the top fifty percent. So, does that sound achievable to anyone? Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So, so this is this is the framework we're living in, right? I'm telling you, if you have any money and you have no debt, you're really on your way to be in top fifty percent. It's crazy, but it's true. <coughs> the only reason that scale changes as people age up is because usually pay scales grow. The people who work a career job, you know, they get raises and move up the corporate ladder and things. And also, people tend to gain more equity in their homes. So if you buy a house in your 20s, you have very little equity. So it's hard to have a positive network. Um, but that's crazy, isn't it? $4,000. I guarantee that anyone in this room, given the opportunities that are at your fingertips in this community alone, could come up with four grand. I know it. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know it. And that's the thing is, it takes discipline. I'm not saying it would necessarily be super, super easy, but I know you could do it. So to be the top 50% of your age group, wouldn't be that hard. And that's the thing that's crazy. In the States, that's the truth of it, is it's really not that hard. It's interesting, I heard a guy talking about he had immigrated to America, and he's crushing it in real estate. And all he and his group, who are all from other countries, talk about is how easy it is to make money in the States. So it cracks me up. I'm like sitting here thinking about all the complaining we do about how hard it is to make money. I mean, Americans in general. And these guys are saying, this, is a, this truly is still the land of opportunity. <laughs> and it is. And that's the crazy thing is it takes some education have to educate yourself on how to control your personal finances, grow your net worth, all those things. But in comparison to other places on earth, we live in a very easy place to become wealthy. And why do we want to become wealthy, right? Bring it back full circle. We want to become wealthy so we can grow the kingdom, bless people, be able to consistently tithe to our community. Like, these are things that we should be striving for. Yeah. And these are, like, biblical concepts that we've been, you know, we've read Jesus talking about the talents. And, you know, we've read him talking about tithing and how it's important. Like, it's... I could go on for a long time about this stuff. I really could. Um... So, obviously, let's talk about debt a little bit. If you're in debt, it weighs on you. As soon as you're out of debt, your finances become a little bit less of a weight. As soon as you're financially free, your finances become 
nearly weightless. And then all of a sudden you can focus on the dreams and the blessings and not have to stress so much. Not necessarily... The interesting thing is, my experience is, the closer I get to financial freedom, the harder I want to work. <laughs> I actually want to work instead of having to work. Yeah. It's a different thing. Mm -hmm. Totally different thing. So, debt is one of these things that it'll beat you up. As long as you have it, if it's bad debt, it, it'll just beat you up. And that's where I consider paid off debt, especially debt that has heavy interest rates, paid off debt is one of the best investments you could possibly make by paying that down. Right? So, for example, if you have a car loan at 8%, I don't know what car loans are at right now, but let's say it's at 8%. If you're paying down that car loan, that investment is better than the stock market. Stock market historically averages around 7% over the like 100 years we have stock market data now. So it's crazy, but if you look at it, it's actually a better investment than putting your money in the stock market. It's one of the best investments you can make, especially because you have a guaranteed avoidance of that interest. So you start there, right? The idea is you want to bring those debts down as, as low as you can go. Knock them down to zero. This is, these are bad debts. I don't think anyone in the room really has a house or anything like that that's potentially appreciating. Um, but that's, that's a huge piece of it. From a net worth perspective, the first step, bring that debt down, right? And then you focus on raising the assets. So I'm, I'm gonna continue to come back to this as we talk, just because it's so important. Um, so my definition of financial freedom, and this is, I've heard it vary. And this is what I, what I consider to be the goal, and I think should be the goal for everybody in the room, is when your incomes that you don't have to work for you could walk away and they would still pay you passive, what's called passive income, are greater than your monthly costs. It's pretty simple. Okay? As soon as that happens, I consider you financially free. Mm -hmm. um, there's other people that throw other caveats in there, but for simplicity's sake, that's, that's where the definition I want to operate off of. Um, an interesting thing that I have have brought up a number of times is the term wealth. Okay, you think about wealthy people, at least for me, it's really easy to think about sweet cars, big houses, you know, movie theaters in their basements, things like that, right? That's like what you think of when you consider wealth, you know, usually. But I had, I think it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, reframed that for me. <coughs> it's a book, by the way. Um, and the definition in that book of wealth 
is measured in time. So your wealth is not how much money you have or how much money you make. It's how much, how long you would be good to go if you weren't working. You, or if you couldn't work. You no longer had your income that you work for. How long would you be good? So the interesting thing about that is if your lifestyle's super low cost and you have $10,000 in the bank, you could be 10 months wealthy. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> because especially for people in this room, people who are young like we are, that's really exciting. Because it offers us the opportunity of being like, wow, I could get to a place where I'm wealthy in not a lot of time. So, I'm going to get into kind of the nuts and bolts here. And I alluded to this earlier, but your personal finances start with understanding where they go. Okay. If you don't know where your money goes, you're never going to be able to change how you use it. Mm -hmm. And part of that is a mindset thing, right? So every cent that you don't spend could be invested, whether that's against bad debt or into whatever your investment of choice is. <laughs> I'm not going to get into investment vehicles tonight because it, that's a whole other can of worms. But that mindset, that it's a kind of small shift, but if you think about that shift and you consider it every time you spend money, every time you're about to swipe a credit card or <laughs> or every time you're about to hand somebody a dollar bill, it's, wow, if I don't spend this, what could I apply it to? Mm -hmm. yeah. And that, there are going to be times where you don't care in that moment. You just really want that fill in the blank. Coffee, beer, ice cream, chocolate-covered apple, like, whatever. <laughs> Have you had Kilwins? Dipped apples? No. They're so good. Okay, sorry. That was another tangent. Um, so, my challenge, my, my challenge for everyone in the room, if you don't already track your finances, track your spending. Start with a week. Every single cent that comes out of your pocket, put it in a ledger. Write it down in a journal. Put it in a note on your phone. Something. So that you know... What? Oh, I'm sure there's apps for that. It's just hard for cash to track in an app. Okay, so... Every cent. Start with a week. Do it for two weeks. If you can do it for a whole month and be disciplined about it, it'll give you an awesome picture of how you're using your money. And if you're like me, you'll realize, oh crap, I spent 30% of my money on eating out. Mm 
<laughs> or on extraneous things. Okay, so there's a book. It's called The Latte Factor. I love that title. It's a, it's a great title because it works, but it's the concept is not strictly about coffee. <clears throat> but it's a great example to make. If you go to Starbucks twice a week and you get a latte and you don't work there and get some ridiculous discount, put that caveat in there. Um, you can easily spend ten, twenty, fifty dollars a week at Starbucks. So this is where the term latte factor came from. The guy was giving a seminar, so probably doing some type of similar, you know, delivery of like what I'm doing. And at the end of the discussion, a couple stood up and like, that would never work. There's no way that we could possibly come together with this much money to save. What he was trying to get them to do was save $10 a day. That was his oh, goal for people. 100% you can do that. <laughs> that's, that's what he was saying. And these people were standing up and saying, there's no way we could do it. So he took them to the cleaners in front of the entire group and went through their daily spending. And they found plenty of money that they could be saving. And that's the latte factor, is what do you spend your money on how many beers a week could you skip? How many coffees could you skip? How many times could you eat at home instead of eating out? Or bring your lunch? Or make coffee at home? Like, these aren't even things that necessarily impact your, like, quality of life. It's just <laughs> how you purchase them. And it's easy to do. Trust me. I get it. And these are the things that impact your personal finances, and that tracking will expose for you. The challenge to every single one in this room that doesn't track their finances is try it. And then take an honest look when you get to the end of your week, two weeks, month, of where your finances went, and then be graceful with yourself. Because you're going to need to. Because honestly, it's brutal. You realize you spent 50 bucks at the coffee shops or at the breweries or at the, you know, wherever else. It's just, it's easy to do when you're not paying attention. So that's the first step. It's track. Okay? You're tracking that. And eventually, you'll track network. And your net worth, what's the question you ask when you look at your net worth? How do I make this grow? So the next step, once you've tracked, not surprising, spend less on those things. <laughs> and, you, and I'm not talking about things that are going to ruin your life or make your life you know, frustrating because you have to be so disciplined. It's just changing the way you buy things. Is instead of going to Starbucks, you learn to make lattes at home. Or instead of going out to breweries, 
you brew your own beer. Brew your own beer. <laughs> Come on. Yes, I love it. Um, one thing that is a silent killer, monthly subscription services. Yes, dude. So I will never forget this. I was driving down the road. I was on Riverside Drive. I'm listening to a podcast in the car. And the host of the podcast says, you know what I did this morning? I made $30,000. Subscriptions, bro. Yeah, exactly. He had gone through and cut out the subscription services that he wasn't using and didn't need. And over a 30-year life on those subscriptions, especially when you add in interest and all the other things you could have used your money for, he just made a chunk. Talk about an investment in yourself, yeah. in your future. Yeah. And <clears throat> I don't know of a single subscription service that you couldn't get rid of. Yeah. Can I add to that? That's sure. Cool. So like from a marketing standpoint, we pitch subscription services to people because they feel less painful to buy. Yeah. But you're still paying that money over like a year. So if like... Spotify, for instance, um, ten bucks a month. Ten bucks a month. So over a year, you're spending 120 bucks on Spotify. Mm. Now, like Brandon, we have a family plan, so it's two bucks a person a month. You got so, like, I don't mind doing that. Start one. But, but what I'm saying, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, think about most people I know have Amazon Prime, 12.99 a month. Oh, Spotify, ten bucks a month. Oh yeah. Uh, Netflix, another five dollars a month. Mm-hmm. You add so Hulu, Hulu no, how much a month? Disney Plus, eight bucks a month. If you're not on Verizon Free Plan, boom. But, um, yeah. So like, just right there, that's fifty dollars a month in subscriptions. A month. A month. And it's that's six hundred dollars in a year. So and the whole point from a business standpoint is so that they can predict their cash flow. So they want you to get on a subscription. That's why they do that. Just so yep. you know, and it feels less painful, but it's still costing you all the money. Yeah, so, spend more. Totally. Yeah. Be wise and find someone with a subscription. Give them a plan. <laughs> 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 so, these, these are just a couple ways you can reduce your spending. And again, I'm not, I'm not asking for you to live like a pauper or have some lifestyle that like is just no fun. Just ask me to be intentional about how you spend every dollar, because every dollar you aren't spending <coughs> can go to investing in yourself mm-hmm. or investing in the kingdom. I mean, shoot, I would rather see you take the money you don't spend and donate it to your favorite community or charity mm-hmm. for them to put to good use than you spend it on frivolous things. Um, <coughs> The next step, so it's track, spend less. Next one, anyone have a guess? Make more money. Make more money. <laughs> so, so look, this, this one, it's easy to say, harder to do, right? Um, and there's a number of things that go into it. Number one is, what's your skill set? Applying your skill set properly is huge. 
I mean, Andrew's a great example. He's a, I mean, despite the fact that he's a serial entrepreneur, he also has a very cool skill set that he's found good applications for. That's huge. It's hugely important. And a lot of people, I would argue and even say most people, don't work in jobs where they can properly leverage their skills. It's pretty common. Um, there's a lot on this. And this is a whole, I mean, this could be a whole series of classes on making more money. Couple ideas off the top of my head, okay? Everyone in this community has enough free time that you could be doing some type of side hustle, okay? Side hustles are aptly named because they require hustle, all right? They're not necessarily easy, but they can supplement your income to the place where okay all of a sudden if you don't allow your income creep there's a, there's a legitimate term it's called income creep meaning that as your income rises usually so does your lifestyle yeah the problem with that is you don't get any better yeah it totally defeats the purpose then you're spending more time to be in the same place so Increase income creep is what you have to avoid all the time. Okay, so you have to be able to be disciplined about that, maintaining that less spending position while you make more money. The cool thing is that when you make more money, your money can all of a sudden go to work for you. Whether that's investing in your bad debt to get that off your books and free your mind and your heart from that shackle or whether that's investing in your future in a project that you care about or in a new business that you want to start and you're actually passionate about or in a you know investment vehicle that is going to put your money to good work and again this is like the talent story all over again it's like how do you use the money you have available um, and again What's the goal? The goal is to be able to invest in kingdom, bless people, tithe consistently, supply your family with the things they need. I mean, this is the goal. It's not about fast cars and big houses. Like, cool if that happens, but that comes from a way, way, way overflow. Mm -hmm. That should be the last thing. Mm -hmm. So... The next step I have on here, and these, these are kind of tied, but save more, okay? Because, and I put this first because I think it's important. Number one, because I think it's really important that people have an emergency fund. It's a pretty sad state right now when it comes to like healthcare stuff. Stuff is expensive and one accident can set you back big time. So if you have that emergency fund, I mean, I'm talking about not even a ton of money, but like just enough that if something happened, you could at least take a chunk of it out. That's a big deal. 
And I think it's really important that people have that security blanket because that's another thing that lets your mind ease a little bit. When you don't have that and you're always up against the next thing, it's stressful. It can be super stressful. Question? Uh, what does uh, enough in an emergency fund on average look like? That's a great question. Um, I think it largely depends on what's going to make you feel safe, to be honest with you. Um, the, like if you asked a financial advisor and they were giving their feedback, they would usually say minimum six months salary. So, which is stout. I mean, that's a big emergency fund. Yeah. Um, and I, <laughs> and, and look, I, that would make me feel super comfortable to have that kind of salary, you know, that much of my salary sitting around. Um, now, I don't think that having it sit in a bank account that pays you nothing in interest yeah. is the best way to do that. And that's another sidebar. I mean, there's, there's better ways to have your money sit. Um, so if you want to, you know, if anyone wants to dive deep into that, we can, we can talk about that. But, <laughs> can I add something to this? Maybe? Yeah, sure. So I saw a stat recently that 70% of Americans, if we had a $400 expense come up suddenly, we'd be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, that's not a good thing. Because if your car breaks down, you got a $400 expense just like that. And it you know what What's that? And it will. And it will, because it's a car and it's depreciating, right? <laughs> so, um, so. Mine's a Sunset. Yeah, my, mine, um, mine and Sherry's general rules that we want to have in between four and six months of our salaries in our savings account. That way, if we book it, can keep it on the street. We can survive for. <laughs> we can survive for six months. Obviously, the likelihood of that happening is not very high, but like it's a for us that's like a good safety measure. But I definitely like it's it would definitely be good to at least have like a thousand dollars, so that if a four hundred dollar expense comes up, you're not freaking stressed out and like yeah. So I personally think thousand dollars is too low. Way too low. I'm just saying as a starting point. It's, it's a great starting point, yeah, yeah. but I, I really think the yeah. goal needs to be significantly higher than that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you're starting at negative and you're trying to get to something. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Well, yeah. and, and that's a good point, too. So <clears throat> the interesting thing about emergency funds is it's probably worth building a very small one even if you're in debt. Because it, that's an immediate stressor all the time. Not having that bank account, even with a little bit in it, that's an immediate stressor all the time. Debt, you can kind of string out if you need to, but immediate costs, you can't. And if that means all of a sudden you lose your job because you can't get to work in your car, that's a huge deal. So that's where... You know, this is all nuanced stuff. It all depends on your lifestyle and what risk factors you have and 
how much debt you have, you know, like all those things, you kind of have to make a case by case decision. And I'm trying to keep this broad for that purpose, but, but that's a great point is that it's important for people to have an emergency mm -hmm. fund. And um, so even if you can only put aside, you know, if you're making minimum wage, you can only put aside 20 bucks a month right now, start practicing putting aside 20 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. um, and then as you increase your income, then you can increase putting aside more, but it's good to, like he's talking about flexing that muscle. It's good to start flexing that muscle. On a consistent basis. Yeah. Um, one of the things, <clears throat> uh, I don't know if it's latte factor or if it's there's an awesome book to the women in the room same author um, smart women finish rich is the name of the book it is dope and it talks about many women at least traditionally in the United States the guy who wrote it is a financial advisor they allow their husband to manage the finances and they pretty much wash their hands of it and as long as everything's hunky-dory they don't really pay attention the problem is looking around the room almost all of you will outlive your husbands so then what is the is the thing and that's what this financial advisor found was he kept having these Widows coming to him, brokenhearted, number one, but also freaked out because they had no idea what their financial picture was. Mm -hmm. And the whole premise behind the book is that, is you have to understand your family's finances. And it starts now. It starts before you're married. It starts as early as you can get financially literate That's really important. And that's for everybody in the room. That's not just for the women, but it's huge. And it makes a huge difference. Um, I grew up in a household, my mom managed the finances, which is good because she was an attorney and she would slap my dad around about that. <laughs> <laughs> but most people don't. The, the, statistically speaking, men handle the finances. In American culture, that's the, that's the norm. I don't I don't know whether it's right or wrong. I don't think I really care. It's just the truth, and that's where everybody in this room is responsible for being financially literate for themselves, and then also for their family. So save more. To Andrew's point, flexing that muscle as frequently as you can, whether it's the change you get back from a dollar goes into your savings bucket and you don't spend it you know, on whatever when it adds up to 10 bucks. Or it's, okay, I can save $5 a day every day of my life. I could skip that coffee at Starbucks, save that money, and then what would you have at the end of the month? 150 bucks you could save a month. That's pretty cool. That incremental stuff really adds up. And another thing I want to touch on just before we leave the savings conversation is uh, for those of you who have a consistent income, you know what it's going to be. Once you've tracked your spending, 
and you understand what you spend, <clears throat> automate your savings. Pay yourself first. Mm -hmm. So, another great book, it's like a American classic, is The Richest Man in Babylon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like pretty old school book, mm -hmm. but it's great. The principles are so true. And uh, that's one of the things in that is, okay, obviously it's going to be hard to pay yourself first because really the government gets paid first. Mm -hmm. Taxes are a nasty business. Um, <laughs> but then pay yourself first. Put aside as much as you possibly can and automate it. The faster you can automate that process so that you don't even have it available to you, the better off you'll be. So, so we got tracking, spending less, making more, saving more. Anyone have a guess at the next one? Invest. Very good. <laughs> so invest. So I said this earlier. Who remembers the stat? Historically, the stock market does what percent? Seven percent. Okay. Coronavirus <laughs> around. Huh? <laughs> What's the coronavirus? I said historically. We're not talking about individual snapshots. Okay, so the investors that I subscribe to would argue that 7% is lazy money. Okay? 7% return on an investment is not good enough, in my opinion. And you know this is down the road for a lot of you guys, so like we'll get there. Just you know, attack the first steps first. But just keep it in the back of your mind that investments should be advantageous, and they should beat the general market. And that's where educating yourself, and that's my final step, but really needs to be throughout the process is educate yourself. Figure out how you can beat the market with an investment. Figure out what types of investments are out there that protect you against downside risk. Figure out what type of investments get you fired up. There are investments in all kinds of things. I mean, you can invest in businesses. You can invest in agriculture. You can invest in the arts, you can invest in real estate, you can invest in airplanes, you can, anything you want to invest in, there are investments available. But you have to educate yourself. Because investing in something you don't understand is a fool's errand. You will almost guarantee, you will almost absolutely lose that money at some point. You might not lose it right away. But you'll, you're guaranteed to lose that money if you don't understand what you're investing in. So one of the, another step I had on here was change your mind. It's a pretty, pretty common thing for us to say in this community. I feel like it's one of the things that you need to stop and think about. Change your mind on money. Because the truth is, living day to day, Paycheck to paycheck is the norm. 
It's what most of us probably grew up with. It's with what most of us probably live with on a day-to-day -day basis. It's what most of us are used to. We think it's just the state of how things should be. And that's not true. Right. The truth is you're in control of your finances. The truth is currency in general is basically made up. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of it. It's not like you don't have to live from a poverty mindset of like, oh, if Brandon makes a bunch of money, I can't make that money. Right. That's not true. If Brandon's making a bunch of money, that gives you more opportunity to make money. Because now you're networking with Brandon, who's making a lot of money. You can sell him a subscription. Right, and you can sell Brandon <laughs> subscription <laughs> services. Thank you. So, <laughs> it's a mindset game. I think most, most things are, but if you decide you're going to follow the normal route, you're going to work a 40-year career, you're going to work your way up a ladder somewhere, good for you. That's great if that fits what you want to do and you find the perfect career that feeds your soul and your bank account, by all means, make your money that way. But I would argue that most of the people in this room have the opportunity to become financially free in no time. So I, I'm going to, without his permission, I'm going to use Matthew as an example. Matthew and I did an analysis on his finances. <laughs> I, I need percent of income. On I, can, I, can, <laughs> I can get him to a place where he's financially free in two years. He'll be 23 years old and not have to worry about where his next paycheck comes from. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. And his position is not uncommon to the general position in the room. It's not rocket science. It's literally a combination of discipline, understanding the steps of how to get there, and doing it. And... It's crazy. I mean, the, thing, the cool thing about it is most of the people in the room live relatively low-cost lifestyle. And if that's true for you, even if it's not true for you today, it could be true for you, number one. And number two, you could be financially free in, like, no time. It's nuts. It's absolutely wild, the opportunities that are afforded to the group sitting right here, Western North Carolina, the East Coast, America as a whole. There is money to be made and financial freedom to be found throughout the country. It's really not that hard. The thing is, the more you allow your lifestyle to climb, the harder it is to achieve. Okay, so I started a little later than I wish I had. And my lifestyle has creeped. I mean, it's just part of life sometimes, but now I've got, I, you know, my monthly costs are more than they were. Mm -hmm. Had I started financially free, the difference is 
Well, I can speak to this firsthand because I got to a place where I didn't have living costs anymore. I, I bought a house, renovated the basement, moved into the basement. Lex and I live in that basement right now. We had a renter paying our mortgage for us and utilities. No living costs. Amazing. All of a sudden, I'm not going back. Hell no. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? I'm never going back to paying for a living again. So now it's, okay, it's not can we afford it or we can't afford it. It's how do we afford to change our living situation so that we're not living in a basement apartment into a position where we can have our own house but still not have living costs. And these are the types of things that you get into where you're like, I'm financially free right now at 25 years old. How can I increase my lifestyle without changing that? And that's where you get into investing. And you get into increasing how much passive income you have available to you. I mean, there's a million ways to create passive income. There's a book, it's called Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. That guy's crazy. He's crazy. He's super crazy. But he has a couple businesses that just roll off the top like 10 grand a month to him. How much would that change your life? If you could create a business that and scale it to a point where it's just like passive. I think he manages it like an hour a week on each business. And he like travels the world and does like jujitsu and stuff. He's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he's seriously, he's, he's wild. But these are the things that are possible to you guys. And that, that's really like one of the biggest takeaways that I want you guys to get is like, yeah, follow the steps by all means. Like be disciplined with your personal finances. But understand that you're not far off. You could become financially free in no time. And it almost doesn't matter your financial position to start. That's the other crazy part. Because getting out of debt when you're motivated, it's a lot easier to do. When you have a reason, you have a dream that you want to pursue, but you know you can't pursue it until you're out of debt. Or you have a dream and you're not in debt and you want to pursue it as soon as you can. How much more motivating is that than just being like, yeah, I just want to be rich? Yeah. Man, I feel like a dirtbag if I said that. I don't want to be wealthy for me. I want to be wealthy so that the God dream that's been in my heart for the past decade Mm -hmm. can come to fruition. And so that that can serve the world. Like, that's where I want us all to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, anyone coming out of this, like, collective community should understand that that's possible for them. Mm -hmm. And that's the world that I want to live in, is that people don't have to stress about day-to-day money. And day to day, you know, if their car breaks down, they need four hundred dollars. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. it's just so crazy. Um, 
I do have a list of resources. I'm just going to text them to Andrew, cool. and you can distribute them. Um, does anyone have questions? I just talked for a long time. <laughs> can you explain that concept of paying yourself first again? Yeah. So, paying yourself first is a concept that, I mean, it's a super traditional concept. It's basically like tithing to yourself. Okay, so in the same way that you would tithe to the church, say, okay, here's how much I'm going to give. And by all means, this is a, a discipline. Tithing was one of the first disciplines that God ever convicted me of, like hardcore. And it was one of those things where I was like shocked because I was always kind of on the fence about tithing and how I felt about it and all that other stuff. But it's been a huge blessing to me. And the same will be true for paying yourself first. I consider them like brother and sister because paying yourself first and tithing should be 10% 10, 10 of your income right off the bat at minimum. I can I think you know it's obviously all kind of scaled and relative but the idea is if you have an income that's consistent especially but even if it's not ideally it's getting direct deposited to a savings account or a checking account and then automatically 10% comes off the top oh, I see. So this is like this is mine. takes takes it out of the equation for spending yeah that's why paying yourself first is a powerful tool because if it's sitting in your checking account yeah. you're like "Ooh, i'm flushed this month i'm gonna go to the brewery or starbucks and buy all the things and like usually in the times of my life when i've done that where i've like felt like a baller because of like a tax return or something stupid I regret it because I went and bought like a crappy piece of furniture on Amazon or like you know like I always end up buying something stupid that I never actually use you know it's like so no I usually end up just trashing it because I'm like pissed at myself right I end up giving it away because you can't resell it it's like stupid stuff like that but if you if you pay yourself first you know you've saved yeah. you don't get to that because usually what will happen you get paid pay all your bills pay for food pay for housing throughout the month right and it adds up throughout the month and then you get to the end of the month and it's like oh shucks there's not much i can save yeah. if you had done it the other way around you had paid yourself first you know how much you can spend for the rest of the month. Right. Mm -hmm. That's why allotting money, the like the envelope method for Dave Ramsey, like it's super classic. Right? And it's it's brilliant for personal finances. Especially starting out early, it's just a lot that money. And the struggle I have is you gotta seal that envelope. For me, I've gotta like ironclad that envelope so I am not like, ooh, let me just pull a couple dollars out of that envelope and slide into the next one. Like, it takes discipline. All this stuff does. But yeah, that's paying yourself first. It's just making sure that your savings comes off the top instead of being relegated to the bottom. 
I was just going to say, like, practically speak about that, too. The, the way that I kind of look at it is kind of from a competitive standpoint, as you always pay in somebody. And I'd rather be me. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like right. if I go, like, example, if I go to Ingalls and I buy a bunch of Sierra Nevada beer, then I've got, I'm paying Ingalls, I'm paying Sierra Nevada, and I'm paying whoever that distributor was before I paid myself, you know? Or if I go to Starbucks and I buy... Five hour coffee because I get a discount. I'm paying Starbucks, <laughs> who's got like a fifty billion dollar market cap right now. Or if I go to Amazon, and I'm buying foolish stuff on Amazon that I don't need, yep. then I'm paying Jeff Bezos to launch something into Mars next year. You know, he's like doing space. <laughs> I think about it like that. Like totally, that dude is worth a hundred billion dollars right now. A hundred billion dollars because he's made it very easy for me to buy. And so I kind of look at it from a competitive standpoint of like this dude's trying to get me yeah. you know so like honestly i don't know if that's healthy or not but like, like but i like pay myself first and then if i got money that i'm gonna spend then i'm willing to pay starbucks or jeff bezos but like i don't want him to get me to a place where i'm anxious there's you know? probably a healthier standpoint than the other way around yeah yeah i mean people spend billions with a b on marketing yeah. to try to get us to purchase their product and buy stuff. Um, and buying things is not bad. That's like what makes our economy go, right? But like, just think about it. Like, there's someone in an office somewhere, like, coming up with ideas about how to convince you to buy them. Actively trying to get Actively trying to chambers. Very active. That's me. So like totally. we work for a lady in Texas that sells cookies for six bucks a pop, for the quarter six. Six dollars yeah. a cookie. Six dollars a cookie. What? And she's making bank right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. More power to her. And she's she was paying us for it. But I'm <laughs> seeing that kind of stuff. I'm like I'm not buying no six dollar cookie. <laughs> so. But, yeah. but I mean think about like how much just freeway signs are worth. Like. Freeway signs make the money. And oh, like. Billboards. Billboards. Is that what you're and the 
They get overwhelmed with it. And so they never allow themselves to, to take, a, take a look and, and capture really the whole, the whole scope of it. Mm-hmm. They, they don't stop. And, and often they came up in a family that never talked about it. Right. They just, and so most people are on autopilot or repeat, mm-hmm. and they're just, yeah. they're just living day to day and week to week and da-da-da-da-da, and they never stop. They never stop mm-hmm. and go, okay, wait a minute. So the idea of tracking, mm-hmm. see, that's a high-level concept on a broad, but, but do you realize how huge it is to know where your money's going? Mm-hmm. You won't get over here on the investment side until you really get this. Yeah. I mean, you, you can dabble a little bit, but if you really want to be effective in this, you've got to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And so I love, I love the umbrella approach, okay? But you meet with Matthew, and you've sat down, and two things. You've taken time to help him, and he's taken time to pursue you. And you've been able to look at his his details and paint the picture of, of hope and of financial freedom that a young man that the rest of the nation would not consider being focused on, that a young man, way, wise beyond his years, says, I'll, I'll give that a shot. And I'd rather make, I'd rather take a, a step in that direction on the hope that I can live a financial freedom reality. I'm only pointing that out to say this. One, you didn't speak much about yourself, right? But you are one who understands finances and financial principles that lead to financial freedom. And you are well down the road. Uh, You know what you're talking about. And two, you know how to help someone get from pretty much any position down the road into financial freedom, right? If they're willing to act. If yeah. they're willing to act. That's... Okay. So here's my question. And, and I'm not doing... Like, you know, I know you only have so much bandwidth and so much scope, right? But, guys, can I tell you the world is plagued with financial mismanagement? Mm-hmm. Plagued. Mm-hmm. And believers are the chief of them that I know. No doubt. That is tragic. It is absolutely tragic. It is tragic to me that the divorce rate among believing and unbelieving people seems to be no different. And when they statistically analyze what's at the root of it, that the overwhelming majority starts on money. Oh, yeah. So how big is it that we get some discipline and some understanding and figure this out now so that our marriage and family and futures can be healthy and whole alive. Mm-hmm. Guys, we can do it. You can do it. And I would challenge you, don't be afraid and don't be ashamed and don't be like in the dark about it. I would challenge you, if you can see that there's somebody who understands something and you hear a broadcast umbrella, but there's something deeper, don't be ashamed or afraid to go after it and say, here's where I'm at. Guys, I promise you, the faster you turn the lights on and get over the fear or shame, yeah. the faster you're going to get on to a financial freedom in your life. Yeah. And there ought to be a difference. Yeah. There ought to be a difference. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. and your marriage and family should not suffer mm -hmm. like too many before us mm -hmm. right. because of money. Yeah, it's silly, and I'm not. <clears throat> I tell you this because it, it burdens my heart big time, because I have one too many people in my mind who suffer from this issue. Yeah, totally. And I know you do too. So I guess I wanted to say, Jake, would you be willing if someone wanted to to get a, a read on their financial world and how to get from here to yeah? It's like one of my favorite things about. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I would take advantage of this. Something sure. I will say that to give a little framework around what Nick is saying too is I've started to, you know, as my career has progressed and changed and, you know, my life has changed a little bit, I've started to meet people who are like legit wealthy, you know, like actually wealthy, have enough passive income that they live whatever lifestyle they want. People in that sphere don't fear talking about money. I'm talking about yeah. guys that are bringing down $25,000, $50,000 a month telling me that to my face. Like, they're not scared to talk about it. It's not scary to discuss assets versus liabilities or their financial picture, what the challenges they have are. It's part of the process of understanding money that all of a sudden you can talk about it. And a big part of it, honestly, I mean, definitely, if you have something you want to talk about, I'd be happy to talk about it with you. Talk about it with each other. Just being able to expose it to another human that you're stressed out about this debt or that debt, and they have a similar picture of like, here's what we're aiming at, Help each other, help hold each other accountable to tracking. I mean, okay, here's our goal. We're gonna track for a month. And we're gonna hold each other accountable to making sure every cent was accounted for. Like, especially in this context, it's super easy to do. Yeah. Like, you guys see each other every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, it's so, so cool. So, so I would say, if, if, if it were me, I'd say, you have a gift that sits in front of you. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if I were you, I'd jump on that. And I, I'll tell you this. If you can't get with Jake, Rochelle's the same. Andrew's the same. These are people who, they literally live a level of financial freedom and peace. Mm -hmm. They manage well. If you get this under your belt now, you will off your life and be so thankful in the future. Okay. The last thing I want to say is, is guys, don't miss, don't miss the forest for the trees on this issue. Perfectly natural be spiritual and perfectly spiritual be natural. You ready for this? We would not even have the story of the Good Samaritan if someone couldn't save enough money to put someone up in need. Yep. So money is very spiritual. Totally. Be wise stewards. Be wise stewards. So if I were you, I'd, I'd, I'd get and don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. And get this under your belt. Succeed at this. Yeah. Succeed at this. Your children, they want you to succeed at this. Mm -hmm. Your future mate is asking right now for you to learn how to discipline. Yeah. yeah. And like building off of like that whole good Samaritan comment, like 
Jesus didn't come just to set us free from spiritual things. Jesus came to set us free from everything. And like being a good steward of our money is just a part of that that he's given us. Yeah. Very good. If I oh if it's okay just like to get super practical real fast for like the whole group and then if we have like questions in the next like couple of weeks feel free to ask us. I'm just gonna like rapid fire questions at you and just shoot. Sure. I trust that you have. So uh, okay, best way to track if I'm a beginner, best way to start tracking my money. Um, I'm a proponent for there's kind of levels in what I consider beginner personal finance. Yeah. Um, level one is all cash lifestyle, probably not having flexed the muscle of paying things off in a consistent basis enough to properly manage a credit card. Yeah. I think the envelope method is the way to go. Got it. You got to do it. That first level is like you just you can't spend more than you have in your envelopes. Period. Um, Does everybody know what the envelope method is? Yeah. Everybody. The same concept is pay yourself first. Yeah. Uh, pretty much. Okay. You break it down real fast. But you yeah. take out all your expenses too. Yeah. So the envelope method is you get paid. <coughs> you put cash in envelopes allotted for each expense that you know you're going to have. So food, so, gas, rent, insurance. Yep. And you put all that stuff away out of your paycheck, paycheck right away. Yeah. And then only those things can only be paid out of those envelopes, period. And you can't move them around. Mm -hmm. That takes discipline. Yeah. I mean, that's like, yeah. it's cash is one of these things that's so mental. But it sticks to your hands a lot more than a credit card does. Yeah. Like it's really hard to hand someone a hundred dollar bill. Yes. <laughs> but for me to swipe a hundred dollar credit card is like so true, man. It's super easy in comparison. But I keep okay. So one, this is something I learned. Got as like a a random tip. If you can come up with a hundred bucks, keep that hundred dollar bill in your wallet. For me, I won't break a hundred dollar oh, bill. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's like, this thing is gorgeous and it just makes me feel like a rock star. So I, I keep a hundred dollar bill in my wallet for that purpose. Just so I'm like disciplined about cash. And it reminds me to stay disciplined about cash. Yeah. yeah. So you, you would recommend tracking the, use the envelope system or yeah. cash? If, if you're in cash, use the envelope system. Okay. Yeah. The, the next step is get yourself a beginner credit card and track with something like Mint. Mm -hmm. Or um, I just was told about another awesome tracking app. Uh, what was it? Digit. No, it's You Need a Budget. <laughs> is literally the name of it. But apparently it's awesome. Um, you know, who told me about it was um, Kevin's parent. I had lunch with him today. He told me about this app, and I was like, oh, sweet. Okay, cool. So apparently that's a really good one. 
Yeah. And then last scenario would be you'd just you'd handwrite and track every expense that you if you don't have your app or if you don't whatever. One hundred percent. I think you should be doing that either way. Yeah. Because the envelope method still has an overflow. There's still a like flex money yeah. portion. It's what's ever left over when you've put your envelopes full for your expenses. That's the part that you could be using to save or cut down debt with. That's the part you need to be keeping a ledger for. And I'm not kidding. I mean, carry a little notepad in your back pocket or your purse or whatever and just write the shit down. I mean, seriously, it's not that hard. Yeah. It's like, it takes an extra 10 seconds with every transaction. If you, and if you haven't done cash, you could probably go back and look at all your statements for the last two months and write out a ledger too. Well, you can import. So you don't even have to like. You wait. can import if you haven't been in cash. You can import into these apps, and yeah. they'll give you. Which would give you retro data. Yeah. It's super nice. So super yeah. super practical with the envelope system. Let's say most of us get paid twice a month, right? How many of us have have gone to the end of the month with rent and been like, ah, I don't know if I'm gonna make it or not. With an envelope system, I'll have a rent envelope, I'll have a car insurance envelope, I'll have a gas envelope, I'll have a going out with my friends envelope. As soon as I get paid, get cash out, I'll put the money I'm going to need for rent, the money I'm going to need for Start my car insurance, priority. and you just put it all into your envelopes, right? And so. Now at the end of the month, I don't have to be like, man, I spent that 50 bucks on beer. I shouldn't have done that because I need it for rent because I have my rent thing. If you got two paychecks, you know, okay, my first paycheck, if, I'm, if my rent's 650, 700 bucks a month, first paycheck, I'm putting three, you know, 325, 350 bucks in. Next paycheck, I'll put the next 325, 350 bucks in. And then I can pay rent out of that and I have that money stored up. That's kind of the point of the envelope system is you're starting to become aware of categories of money that you can spend. You know, so I know. Okay, my paychecks are generally, let's average person probably fifteen hundred bucks a month. My rents six fifty seven hundred bucks a month. My um, car insurance one hundred bucks a month. My health insurance another hundred bucks. I get to the end of the line, I'm like, wow, I got hundred fifty bucks that I have in spending or saving. So now when I go out, I'm thinking about that. You know, I only have hundred fifty bucks that I really want to spend. 40 bucks out here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when you're looking at it in the envelopes, when that bottom thing yeah. of going out money is 150 bucks, you're like, wow, I could take 100 of that, put it in savings, and then now I've got 50 bucks to go out with. I know that that's my spending budget. Like, great. Lock me in. And now you just saved 100 bucks a month. 100 bucks a month goes. Real yeah, fast, that's far. 10 months gives you your $1,000 buffer. Another 10 months, $2,000. But that all compounds. I mean, these, these are disciplines that seriously compound upon each other so that your economy of scale grows. I mean, it all it grows. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> I have a question. What do you... I'm not trying to get a really good answer to this. I guess, what advice would you give for someone who has no clue what they're going to make in a month? Yeah. Very inconsistent. Yeah, super good question. Um, well, number one, having that savings buffer is going to be huge. 
So if you have a great month, you need to be saving a good chunk of it. Number two, I would encourage you to create a more consistent income stream, whether it's yours or an additional job or something else that you can create a little bit more stability with. The hard thing about inconsistent, and I know inconsistent, I work as a commissioned salesperson. <laughs> okay, yeah. so inconsistent is the name of the game. Yeah, the, the challenge there is there are months, I mean, so when I came on in my job, the guy who was there told me about a month where he was actually negative. They actually took money from him. <laughs> that's a bad month. It's a bad <laughs> month. And, but that's, you have to be that much more disciplined when you have inconsistent income. That when you have income, you're saving a chunk. Because what you need to do when you have peaks and valleys is save for the, to make it a flat line. And also minimize your lifestyle so the place where, okay, what's your minimum possible income in a month? If that's 750 bucks, like your lifestyle better be pretty trim so that you can still live on that. I mean, it's not easy, but that's the truth of the matter is when it's, if it fluctuates highly, you know, you orders of magnitude type of fluctuations like I do, you got to be saving in the times when things are good and spreading that cost, that cash out over significant time scales. I mean, you got to be thinking for six months because if you have two bad months where you don't get paid much two months in a row, that can get tight quick. Um, and trust me, I've been there. Um, there's a lot of industries with it. Like if you're an entrepreneur, your pay is inconsistent. It yeah. is customer come like this. <laughs> I mean, I know too. Like, yeah. If you're a real estate agent, it does. Same what, thing. sometimes thirty to ninety day cycle between yeah. house sales. Your pay is inconsistent, and so just if you're a construction worker, if you're weather dependent, you know yeah. your pay can be inconsistent. So it kind of just like you kind of just have to know what industry you're in as well. And say like, can my temperament deal with that? And if so, can I live wisely within it? Or if not, you might need to find a different industry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, my my temperament is not. I like entrepreneurship, but I do not like being inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to adjust with that because I was panicked for the first six, eight months of doing that stuff. Yeah. Because I would make, and then I would make, and I was like, ah. Um, yeah. Did it change your saving habits? Oh yeah, yeah it's, amazing. Amazing. it's amazing. Well, it does. It creates, it creates a like preemptive poverty mindset around money. Is what it does. Which is super weird. But you're like, I've got money now, but I'm not gonna have money next month. Like you just assume it's all gone. Yeah. Which is with good money management, that's not true. But that's what you have to assume. Kind of sucks. Yeah. I think what you said it before you didn't make it number one but you said you should remember this throughout like your why kind of like yeah. why you even want to have wealth or save money I 
think that really should be number one too. It's like, because when when you know what the end goal is, it's much easier to be like, I don't need that cup of coffee. But when you have no goal that you're working for, it's mm -hmm. of course you're gonna buy the cup of coffee. Like, well, why wouldn't you? And so I think like that is probably the most important thing. Because totally. it, it's mm -hmm. like really easy. <clears throat> I know, like when I first moved here, I knew my expenses were gonna be tight, and and so I just made the decision. I was like. So I'm not buying any clothes. So I went like 14 or 15 months without buying a single piece of clothing because I knew, and I was like living off of like $500 or less a month with like everything. Like I was, I've made, I think it was closer to 800 with my school expenses, but put myself through school mm -hmm. and buying my own food, finding my own housing, everything. And I was like, I mean, I found a job where I was like trading work for housing and all kinds of stuff, but I was yeah. living off of like, we're talking five, eight hundred dollars a month while going through school. Like yeah. that was paying for schools as I was doing it, but it was just like I had an objective and I was putting every single thing into it I could, and right. made, I like had to make a lot of decisions to not do things. But totally, I have a friend who built some investment properties behind his house in West Asheville, mm -hmm. so now he's killing it. But <laughs> he told me. During the six months they were in construction, him and his wife were like absolutely no extraneous costs at all. Their every dollar was going into building these things. They were building them in cash. Wow. So there were times where they had to like halt construction until they could come up with enough cash for the, like the next week of construction. But that's, I mean, talk about a serious why. I mean, talk about being driven towards something, mm -hmm. and you can pick, you can do this, that same concept, at any scale. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can do it at crazy scales, mm -hmm. but you can also do it at tiny scales. Like if your yeah. goal is, I want a twenty-five hundred dollar buffer fund, or a twenty-five thousand dollar buffer fund. Like, put your mind to it and get it done. Mm -hmm. You can do it. Do you have a question? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to frame it right, but basically, is it possible and or is it wise to go through life purposely avoiding loans and credit cards and anything that is not from basically debit or cash? Uh, long range answer to that is no. I don't think avoiding loans and credit cards is the most advantageous way for people to move forward in their financial path. But, and this is a huge caveat, is if you can't handle cash and do the envelope system, you definitely should not get a credit card. <laughs> because a credit card will run up on you quick. Cash, at least, if you don't have it, you can't spend it. The, to your point, going through life as you, as you project out decades, you know, the only debt that I consider to be 
worthy of debt is for an asset that is worth more than the debt. Something that's going to put money in my pocket is an asset. So a single family house for you and your new wife, that's not an asset, dude. You got to reframe that. Everybody in the world, every real estate professional out there that isn't an investor, because the investors will tell you like it is, will tell you single family home is the way most Americans build their wealth. Their, their home, their personal home. The only reason that's true is because it takes 30 years to pay it off and the equity builds real, real, real slow. But that costs them money the whole time. There are better ways and there are better assets to invest with and to incur debt on an asset, something to put money in your pocket. I'm all for that. It's the net worth mindset. But credit cards, you should never carry over debt month to month. No, there's no way. Yeah. Absolutely not.